Like us, the Bruce Springsteen Podcast, episode 37, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For this show, I'm going to play some music, some induction speeches from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame events over the last 30 years. All right, before we get started with that, I want to remind you of the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. We're about one month away now from this event, bringing together podcasters, rock and roll fans, musicians, producers, music memorabilia, and vinyl dealers. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. I'll be there representing Bruce Springsteen and the Tramps Like Us podcast. We're going to have stickers. we got buttons. And we'll be recording live all day long. Come out and join us. Lots of podcasts, lots of music, lots of friends. Do you love it loud? Then plan to attend the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. One day event celebrating all things rock and roll. Over 20 rock podcasts from all over North America recording on site. Panel discussions with producers that have worked with Ozzy, Slayer, Kiss, Y&T, Seven Dust, Dokken, and more. Celebrity signings and meet and greets with current and former members of Cinderella, Winger, Tora Tora, Collected Soul, Taiketo, The Monkees, with more to be announced. All that and record dealers slinging some sweet vinyl. The Nashville Rock and Pod Expo takes place Saturday, August 26th at the Music Valley Event Center. More information available at NashvilleRockandPodExpo.com as well as on Facebook. The Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Feast your ears. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame began in 1986 as a committee made up of record execs to honor the very best in rock and roll music. Now, I've had my issues with the Hall of Fame over the years. I've always thought it's just stupid, you know, to give awards for art. It's so interpretive to the listener and their preferences and prejudices that, to me, it doesn't make sense that they say this art is better than that art. In recent years, it's been quite ridiculous seeing each year which artist gets in and which do not. With groups like Kiss, Rush, Tommy James, Deep Purple, and Yes, not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and people like Madonna, Michael Jackson, and the group ABBA all making it in, the credibility of the institution is at a low among fans who separate pop from rock. Rolling Stone editor and bigwig Jan Wenner is the force behind the Rock Hall, and unlike other halls of fame, a select group of insiders decides who gets in. In most other halls of fame, it's a team of veterans and journalists that decide who is culturally worthy. Little Steven Van Zant, acclaimed garage rock guru and guitarist for Bruce Springsteen, admits there's prejudice in those back rooms where nominees are decided. It's difficult to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, we, you know, we, we have a, a, a big board of 40, 50 people. Uh, everybody suggests three artists, and you look at those 150 artists every year, and I'm telling you right now, most of them should be in, you know? And, you know, it goes all the way back to 1949 or something, yeah. Um, so, 
various people have various prejudices against certain things within that board, you know. It's like any other group of people. <laughs> but um, overall, I really must say, you know, it, they, they do a terrific job, I think, and uh, it's a very difficult thing to get that 150 artists down to 15, and then a bigger group votes for the last, makes that 15 the last five, you know. Uh, but to get 150 to 15, you know, we do that in one afternoon, and it's, and, you know, it's, <laughs> it's tough, man, you know. <laughs> He added that the Hall of Fame is really for the older generation of artists from the 50s and 60s who made bad business deals and weren't as financially successful as artists from later generations. Whenever we start getting a little bit, you know, cynical or, or taking it for granted, like I was talking about, the 50s and 60s artists are the ones who really appreciate this stuff, you know? They're the ones who invented it, that's why we're all here. And um, they didn't, you know, make a lot of money, you know? So it really is kind of important to them to be recognized, you know, their life's work, you know, kind of legitimized in a way, you know. So whenever we start feeling a little bit cynical about these things, you know, you look at those 50s and 60s guys and you realize this Hall of Fame thing really is meaningful, you know. As per the Rock Hall website, artists become eligible for induction 25 years after the release of their first record. Criteria include the influence and significance of the artist's contributions to the development and perpetuation of rock and roll. The bottom line is, who cares? It's only rock and roll and opinions mean nothing. Regardless of the board of directors determining who gets in, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum is way cool. I've been to the museum in Cleveland a bunch of times, probably like five, six, seven times. It's so great. Lots of great memorabilia there. They got Fats Domino's shirt with all the dominoes on it. They got... Uh, Joey Ramone's leather jacket is there, Eddie Cochran's Gretsch guitar, and they even have Bruce Springsteen's formal wear of blue jeans, belt, white t-shirt, and red baseball cap from the Born in the USA album cover. I highly recommend you check out the Hall of Fame Museum. Lots of fun for rock and roll fans there. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been the source for some great rock and roll moments over the years. A lot of good performances, collaborations. So for this show, I'm going to feature some of these moments from the Hall of Fame inductions the, uh, the museum opening concert from Cleveland Stadium, which was on September 2nd, 95. And the 25th anniversary concert that they held at Madison Square Gardens, New York City, over two nights in 2009, where they just had a bunch of uh, Hall of Famers, you know, collaborate with each other in uh, a yeah, great, great two nights of uh, music and rock and roll. The first clip I'm going to play is from the induction ceremony from 1988. The original induction ceremonies were held at a hotel ballroom in New York City. I think it was the Waldorf Astoria, I want to say. So Bruce was on hand for a lot of these. Uh, in 1988, he was there to induct Roy Orbison. More on that later. In these early incarnations of the induction ceremonies, they would have an all-star jam at the end of the night celebrating the inductees. Usually no rehearsals with about 30 key musicians on stage, big names. And it was pretty much just a big clusterfuck with Paul Schaefer trying to keep everyone together. He'd be up front there in one of those silly little guitars, kind of counting the songs off, counting in uh, bridges and stuff like that. For this induction ceremony, there was some drama between Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono over the Beatles induction. So Paul didn't show that night. So here's an all-star jam of I Saw Her Standing There featuring Ringo Starr on drums. Uh, Anton Fig was there too playing drums. Jeff Beck takes a guitar solo. George Harrison is up there playing guitar, singing along. 
Uh, Billy Joel sings most of the song of the first half, and then Bruce Springsteen and Mick Jagger take over for the second half of the tune. So you get some cool moments with Bruce and Mick singing on one mic, Bruce smiling from ear to ear. Springsteen himself has inducted many artists over the years to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Legends and heroes, contemporaries, and, uh, you know, up-and-comers. His kind of next, the next generation apprentices. In 1988, uh, Bruce inducted Bob Dylan, speaking about the influence that Bob had on himself personally and on the rest of the world with his music. So I'm going to play that, and I'll follow that clip with uh, Bob calling Bruce on the stage to perform with him at that museum opening concert years later in Cleveland, September 2nd, 95. Bob says, uh, a buddy of mine is going to come up and sing one of my songs. Let me hear you say, Bruce. <laughs> and Bob looks slightly wasted on this. So they're, they're playing Forever Young. Dylan's on electric guitar. Uh, you get a great, uh, elegantly wasted guitar solo from Bob Dylan. Yeah, Thanks. The first time that uh, I heard Bob Dylan, I was in the car with my mother. And uh, we were listening to, I think, maybe WMCA. And on came that snare shot that sounded like somebody kicked open the door to your mind from like a rolling stone. And my mother, who was, she was no stiff with rock and roll. She, she liked the music. She listened. She sat there for a minute and she looked at me and she said, that guy can't sing. And, but I knew she was wrong, you know. I sat there, I didn't say nothing, but I knew that I was listening to the toughest voice that, that I'd ever heard. It was lean, and it sounded somehow simultaneously young and adult. And I ran out, and I bought the single. And I came home, and I ran home, and I put it on the 45, and they must have made a mistake at the factory because a Lenny Welch song came on. And 
the label was wrong. So I ran back and I got it. And I came back and I played it. And then I went out and I got Highway 61. And it was all I played for weeks. Looked at the cover with Bob with that satiny blue jacket and the Triumph motorcycle shirt. And when I was a kid, Bob's voice somehow, it thrilled and scared me. It made me feel uh, kind of irresponsibly innocent. And it still does. It was, uh, but it reached down and touched what little worldliness I think a 15-year-old kid in high school in New Jersey had, had in him at the time. Uh, Dylan was, he was a revolutionary, man. The way that, the way that Elvis freed your body, Bob freed your mind. And he showed us that just because the music, he did. <laughs> You know, he showed us that just because the music was innately physical did not mean that it was anti-intellect. He had the vision and the talent to expand the pop song until it could contain the whole world. He invented a new way a pop singer could sound. He broke through the limitations of what a recording artist could achieve, and he changed the face of rock and roll forever and ever. Without Bob, Beatles wouldn't have made Sgt. Pepper. Maybe the Beach Boys wouldn't have made Pet Sound. The Sex Pistols wouldn't have made God Save the Queen. You 2 wouldn't have done Pride in the Name of Love. Marvin Gaye wouldn't have done What's Going On. Grandmaster Flash might not have done The Message. And the Count Five could not have done Psychotic Reaction. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there never would have been an, a group named the Electric Prunes, that's for sure, you know. But the fact is that, that to this day, where great rock music is being made, there is the shadow of Bob Dylan over and over and over again. And Bob's own modern work has gone unjustly underappreciated for having to stand in that shadow. If a young songwriter if there was a young guy out there writing Sweetheart Like You, writing the Empire Burlesque album, writing Every Grain of Sand, they'd be calling him the new Bob Dylan. That was... That's all the nice stuff that I had to, I wrote out to say about you. Now it was about three months ago, I was watching TV and the Rolling Stones special came on. And Bob came on and he was in a real cranky mood, it seemed like, and he was, he was kind of bitching and moaning about how his fans don't know him and nobody knows him, and, and uh, they, they come up to him on the street and kind of treat him like a long-lost brother or something. And uh, speaking as a fan, I guess when I was 15 and I heard Like a Rolling Stone, I heard a guy that like I've never heard before or since. A guy that had the guts to take on the whole world and made me feel like I had him too. And uh, maybe some people mistook that voice to be saying somehow that you were gonna do the job for him. And as we know, as we grow older, that there isn't anybody out there that can do that job for anybody else. So I'm just here tonight to say to say thanks, to say that I wouldn't be here without you,
to say that there isn't a soul in this room who does not owe you their thanks. And uh, to steal a line from one of your songs, um, whether you like it or not, you was the brother that I never had. Congratulations. Buddy of mine's gonna come up and play one of my old songs. Mr. Bruce Springsteen. Let me hear you say, Bruce.
Second Hall of Fame induction ceremony in 1987, Bruce inducted the great Roy Orbison. I'd lay in bed at night with just the lights on my stereo on, and I'd lay crying, and love hurts, and running scared, and only the lonely, and it's over, to fill up my room. Well, some rock and roll reinforces friendship and community, but for me, Roy's ballads were always best when you were alone and in the dark. And I always remember laying in bed and right at the end of it's over when he hits that note that sounds like that you just heard that sounds like the world's gonna end and I'd be laying there promising myself that I was never gonna go outside again and never talk to another woman <laughs> you know. right about that time my needle would slip back to the first cut and I'd hear da 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 in 75, we went into the studio to make Born to Run. I wanted to make a record with words like Bob Dylan that sounded like Phil Spector, but most of all, I wanted to sing like Roy Orbison. Now everybody knows that nobody sings like Roy Orbison. <laughs> so all I want to say is congratulations, thanks for the inspiration, and uh, mercy. <laughs> for the 1993 induction ceremony, the boss inducted Creedence Clearwater Revival. I think it's very appropriate that you know Bruce inducted Bob Dylan, he inducted Roy Orbison, and he inducted Creedence. In, in just those three artists, you can hear a lot of that Bruce Springsteen uh, sound and where he got a lot of his songwriting prowess. So here's Bruce inducting Creedence amid more Hall of Fame drama. This was the thing where John Fogarty refused to perform with Stu, uh, Stu and Doug that night due to you know shady business deals they had made and lawsuits between, between the band members. Instead, Fogarty chose to play a few CCR songs with Bruce and Robbie Robertson that night. So I'll follow up Bruce inducting Creedence with Fogarty and Springsteen on stage together at Madison Square Garden for that 25th anniversary concert, October 29th, 2009, paying tribute to the great Roy Orbison on Pretty Woman. And it sounds like they actually rehearsed the bridge on this. No one ever gets the bridge right on jams of Pretty Woman. Thanks. Uh, 
In 1970, suburban New Jersey was still filled with the kind of 60s spirit Easy Rider made us all so fond of. I'm referring to the scene where Dennis Hopper gets blown off his motorcycle by some redneck with a shotgun. Uh, a weekend outing at the time was still filled with the drama of possibly getting your ass kicked by a total stranger <laughs> who disagreed with your fashion sense. Uh, me and my band worked on Route 35 outside Asbury Park at a club called the Pandemonium. Uh, they'd recently lowered the drinking age to 18 with the logic that if you were old enough to die, you were old enough to drink. And so it was five 50-minute sets a night, and rarely a night without a fight. The crowd was eclectic. Uh, rough kids just out of high school who hadn't been snatched up by the draft yet. Truck drivers heading home south into the Jersey Pines who weren't going to make it. Uh, not that night, at least. And a mixture of college and working girls, women with bouffant hairdos, and a small but steady hippie contingent. Tough crowd to please all at once. We played behind a U-shaped bar that was just three feet in spitting distance from many of the patrons who came to just drink and stare and hassle a band. Uh, into New Jersey came the music of John and Tom Fogarty, Doug Clifford, and Stu Cook, Creedence Clearwater Revival. And for the three minutes and seven seconds of Proud Mary, a very strained brotherhood would actually fill a room. It was simply a great song everybody liked, and it literally saved our asses on many occasions. <laughs> but uh, Credence started off in the long jamming tradition of other San Francisco bands, realized it wasn't their road, quit cold, and went on to great things. Green River, Bad Moon Rising, Down on the Corner, Lodi, Fortunate Son, Who'll Stop the Rain, Born on the Bayou wasn't only great music, it was great dance music, it was great bar band music. I remember in the late 70s, I'd be out in a club and I'd watch some band struggle through one of my songs and then just kind of glide effortlessly through a Creedence Clearwater tune. <laughs> you know, it used to really piss me off. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I stand here tonight still envious of that music's power and its simplicity. <laughs> um, and they were hits and hits filled with beauty and poetry and a sense of the darkness of events and of history, of an American tradition shot through with pride, fear, paranoia, and they rocked hard. Now, you can't talk about Credence without talking about John Fogarty. On the fashion front, all of Seattle should bow. I give you... <laughs> <laughs> You know, John was uh, the father of the flannel shirt. You know? <laughs> uh, and as a songwriter, only few did as much in three minutes. He was Old Testament, shaggy-haired prophet, fatalist, funny too. As Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations. But I can say I've never met anybody who took him so seriously. <laughs> you know? He was severe, he was precise, he said what he had to say and got out of there. It was lyrically spare and beautiful. It created a world of childhood memory and of men and women back to the wall. A landscape of swamps, bayous, endless rivers, gypsy women, back porches, hound dogs chasing ghosts, devils, bad moons rising, straight out of the blues tradition. He turned it into a vision that was all his own. 
And in Doug, Stu, and Tom, he had the band that could back it up. What makes a great rock band is a funny thing. It's not always, it's not always the obvious things. You can't ever really know what makes a great band tick. It's not about the, what the players are exactly like. All I know is you had Tom Fogarty's relentless rhythm guitar and, and Doug and Stu's great rhythm section and uh, John's songwriting and singing. And all I know is they played, they played great together. I bumped into John one day up on Mulholland Drive and we laughed about how far he was from the bayou and I was from the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> so, Credence, uh, but Credence made music for all the waylaid Tom Sawyers and Huck Finns and for a world that would never again be able to take them up on their most simple and eloquent invitation, which was if you get lost, to come on home to Green River. So let me end by saying, in their day, Credence never got the respect they deserved. Who would have thought in 69 that before the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Moby Grape, Strawberry Alarm Clock, or Electric Prunes, Credence would be inducted into a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if there was going to be one. They committed the sin of being too popular, when hitness was all. They played no frills American music for the people. In the late 60s and early 70s, they weren't the hippest band in the world, just the best. So let me, yeah. Anyway, so let me finish by saying congratulations, men, do a job well done. And to all the naysayers, ha, 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 they told you so. <laughs> so. Doug Clifford, Stu Cook, Jeff Fogarty accepting for his dad. John Fogarty, congratulations. Dad induction to the Hall of Fame.
John Fogarty, everybody. On September 2nd, 1995, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame put on a concert to celebrate the opening of that museum in Cleveland, Ohio. Lots of all-stars and collaborations made for an amazing night of music. On the Chuck Berry Tribute Podcast I did recently, I discussed the Chuck Berry bookends of that concert. The opening of Johnny Be Good with Chuck and the E Street Band, and then the train wreck of rock and roll music to end the concert. So this concert also served as sort of a reunion for the E Street Band, besides the recording and the video shoot club show they did for the Greatest Hits album in early 1995. They, uh, they did a video for Murder Incorporated, I think, at the Tramps, it's called Tramps Club in New York. And, uh, you know, after they filmed that video, they played a bunch of songs. But other than that, this, I think, was the first kind of big gig the band had played together since about 1988. So they kicked off their portion of the night with a rock and roll classic, Big Joe Turner's Shake, Rattle, and Roll. Clarence takes a sax solo, then Bruce takes a solo, and then they trade solos, rockin' and rollin'. Please welcome, from Asbury Park, New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band.
came out to jam with Bruce and the boys for a few songs during their set that night. There's some uh, very cool rehearsal footage of them getting the songs ready. Jerry Lee and Bruce discussing tempos. You hear Jerry tell Bruce to tell the drummer to step on that beat on the breakdown. They basically play this through the song once. Jerry says, I think we got it. Good enough. Grabs his drink in his pipe, shakes Clarence's hand, and walks off. So I'm going to play that rehearsal footage, and they're going to play both songs they played that night. I know it's two songs, but it's the fucking killer. And I guarantee you're not listening to enough Jerry Lee Lewis music. Hold the desk on that big back. It's funny because we, you know, we watched the tape from Ireland and we were moving pretty slow. And I figured that was the tempo you wanted at. So you say it when we played the original tempo. Uh-huh. We'll just follow you. You feel like recorded the game of Mercury way fast. Yeah. The original record is just like we just done. I I like that that big tempo myself. See, I like that big that, that's where you get the roll out of it, you know. But if it feel if we feel too slow, just say pick it up and we'll, and we'll follow you, you know. Keep it just like that. All right. Hold on, shaking here. Yeah. He says you He says you kick it a little harder. Just don't want to ease it down. Yeah. Oh, I see. You don't want me to go down as low. Don't bring it down. All right, we'll bring it down as low. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Made that. Made the. I'm obligated to do so, but I might get kicked. <laughs> All right. good. You want to yeah. play one again or no? I don't mean I think we got it. Alright, we got it. You know? right. If we get good, I'm not mind. You sounded great. We're right with you. And I can't wait. Y'all are right on it. <laughs> Thanks. Jim. Appreciate it, fellow. <laughs> Thank you very much. One of my all-time heroes, the one and the only, the man that doesn't play rock and roll, he is rock and roll, Jerry Lee Lewis.
very much, ladies and gentlemen. Great to be, uh, to be here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opening here in Cleveland, Ohio. My name is Jerry Lee Lewis. Thank you, Bruce. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. But much love drives a man insane. You broke my will. What a thrill. I had coming in this duration. Balls of fire. I like the love of the bottle of body. Balls of fire, kiss me, baby. It feels good, hold me, baby. Hey, girl, don't let me love you like a lover should. You're fine, so kind. I'm gonna tell this world that you're mine, 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 mine. I my nails and I twiddle my thumb. I'm getting nervous, but it sure is fun. or Sun Records called A Whole Lot of Shaking Going On.
can shake it one time for me. Oh, well, the hell of hot to come on over, baby. Oh, a lot of shaking going on. Easy, baby, shake it. Yeah. Honey, shake it one time for Bruce and the boys. They like it, too. Now, what you say, let's get together and get it one time. One time. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Springsteen was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on March 15, 1999. This was a big night with the E Street Band reuniting to perform with Bruce. I think this is like the first time they'd played together again since that museum opening concert in 95. They played The Promised Land, Backstreets, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, and In the Midnight Hour with Wilson Pickett. Check out one of our previous podcasts, uh, the episode Cover Me Volume 1 where we feature that amazing moment between Wilson Pickett and Bruce Springsteen. Well, even though Bruce was inducted in the Hall of Fame, Wilson Pickett had to show the boss who's the king of the stage, you know, still. Inducting Springsteen that night was Bono. I'm not a U2 fan at all, and I'm even less of a Bono fan, but, you know, they've had their moments over the years. Bono's induction speech was quite good, and there was a cool version of I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For that they did with Bruce and Roy Bitton at the 25th anniversary concert in 2009. So let me play that. Check out Bono commenting on the genius of Roy Bittin at the piano break. <laughs> I didn't know Roy was French. Bruce and Bono trade off some verses at the end, which is uh, really kind of cool. I can't believe I'm going to play a U2 song on my podcast. Oh, well, this is a good one. All right. Thinking here in rock and roll's great cathedral that is Madison Square Garden. Thinking in this moment about all the pilgrims all the pioneers that got us all here, the saints and the heretics, the poets and the punks that now make up the Hall of Fame. It's a dangerous thing, this business of building idols, but at least rock and roll is not at its best about worshiping sacred cows. It's about the thousands of voices gathered in one great unwashed congregation like tonight. For a lot of us here, rock and roll just means one word, Li liberation. Political, sexual, spiritual, liberation. That's what it is. Let's have some fun with that.
Inducted Springsteen, mentioning the real down-to-earthness of Bruce. That's the thing we all love him for, I think. I love his line about no golfing, no bad haircuts, no bad movie roles. <laughs> Once again, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there was a bit of drama on E Street and that the band didn't get inducted along with Bruce. Steve even went to Bruce, I think, just before the induction and lobbied for him to include the band. But I'm kind of fine with Bruce being inducted as a solo artist. I believe his talent would have led him to the top no matter you know what band he had with him. And he should be recognized as such. Although the E Street Band is the best possible band he could have had taking him to the top. The band gets their due with the Hall of Fame years later. Uh, Bono and Bruce both give mention to the mighty men and women of the E Street Band in their speeches. So here's Bono first inducting the boss which also includes a little audio from a video package that they played at the induction. And I'm pretty sure that's Robbie Robertson doing the voiceover, the great Robbie Robertson from the band. Then we have Bruce accepting the award, to which he would then summon the band on stage to take a bow with them, strap on their instruments, and then they play the promise ring. Yeah, man. Bruce is very unusual rock star, isn't he, really? I mean, he hasn't done the things most rock stars do. He got rich and famous. He never embarrassed himself with all that success, did he? No drug busts, no blood changes in Switzerland. <laughs> Even more remarkable, no golfing. <laughs> no bad hair, period, even in the 80s. No embarrassing movie roles, no pet snakes, no monkeys, no exhibitions of his own paintings. <laughs> no public brawling or setting himself on fire on the weekend. Well, you can't be a big legend <clears throat> and not be dysfunctional. It's not allowed. You should at least have lost your looks. Everyone else has. Do you see them? It's like Madame Tussauds back there. Um, then there's Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Oh! Handsome. Handsome mother with those brooding brown eyes, eyes that could see through America. <clears throat> and a catastrophe of great songs, if you were another songwriter. Bruce has played every bar in the USA and every stadium. Credibility, you couldn't have more unless you were dead. He's America's writer and critic. It's like in Badlands, he's Martin Sheen and Terence Malick. 
To be so accessible and so private, there's a rubric. But then again, he is an Irish-Italian with a Jewish-sounding name. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you want? Add one big African sax player and no one in this room is going to f*** with you. No. No. He was the end of long hair, brown rice and bell bottoms. He was the end of the 20-minute drum solo. It was good night, hate Ashbury. Hello, Asbury Park. Here was a new vision and a new community, more than a community, because every great rock group is kind of like starting a religion, sort of. And Bruce surrounded himself with fellow believers. The East Street wasn't just a great rock group or a street gang. It was a brotherhood. Zealots like Steve Van Zandt. The Bishop Clarence Clemens. The Holy Roy Bitten, Crusaders, Danny Federici, Max Weinberg, Gary Talent, and later Niels Lofgren, and John Landau, John Landau, John Landau, John Landau, John Landau. What do you call a man who makes his best friend his manager, his producer, his confessor? You call him the boss. And Springsteen didn't just marry a gorgeous red-headed woman from the Jersey Shore. She could sing, she could write, and she could tell the boss off. <laughs> and that's Patty right there. At some point, I remember riding an elevator with Gentleman Bruce, where he just stared straight ahead of himself, completely ignored me. I was crushed. Only when he walked into the doors as they were opening did I realize the impossible was happening. My God, Bruce Springsteen, the Buddha of my youth, is plastered. <laughs> Drunk as a skunk, pissed as a fart. Something was going on, though. As a fan, I could see that my hero was beginning to rebel against his own public image. Things got even more interesting on Tunnel of Love when he started to deface it. A remarkable bunch of tunes where our leader starts having a go at himself and the hypocrisy of his own heart before anyone else could. But the tabloids could never break news on Bruce Springsteen because as fans he'd already told us everything in the songs. We knew he was spinning. We could feel him free falling. But it wasn't in chaos or entropy. It was in love. They call him the boss. Well, that's a bunch of crap. He's not the boss. He works for us. More than a boss, he's the owner. Because more than anyone else, Bruce Springsteen owns America's heart. Just at the time when it felt like rock music was running out of steam, Bruce Springsteen appeared playing with such joy, passion, and pure belief that rock and roll felt suddenly reborn. Springsteen's example transformed the mainstream. He turned out to be exactly what his early fans believed. The future of rock and roll.
for most rock musicians, stardom is the goal. For Springsteen, it was a starting place. Taking a cue from James Brown, he assembled one of the greatest live bands ever and put on marathon concerts that touched the heart and rocked the rafters. He gave voice to the Vietnam vets with Born in the USA and America's new immigrants with the ghost of Tom Joad. And he spoke for people living with AIDS in the streets of Philadelphia. Springsteen is a great rocker, but he doesn't write only for or about the rock and roll world. He speaks for everyone. His songs are a mirror for people who have not heard anyone sing about them before. Leave each other alone like this. In the music of Bruce Springsteen, we find a better idea of ourselves. I'm proud to introduce to you Bruce Springsteen, member of the East Street Band. I stood on this stage and I inducted Roy Orbison and Creedence Clearwater Revival and Bob Dylan artists whose music was a critical part of my own life. And tonight I hope that my music served my audience uh, half as well. Thanks, Mom. This is yours tonight. Take it home as a small return on the investment you made in your son. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> the Italian side of the family. Mama. Now, last but not least, the men and women, the mighty men and women of the street band. <laughs> my great friends, my great collaborators, my great band, your presence tonight honors me, and I wouldn't be standing up here tonight without you, and I can't stand up here now without you. Please join me. Oh, Johnny! You too. Oh 
Then in 2014, the E Street Band was inducted. Obviously, Bruce inducted the band and spoke at length and lovingly about the friends and musicians that rode with him down the Rock and Roll Highway. Each member gets a special mention. The audio quality on this isn't the greatest. It's like an audience recording, but I think it's worth it for the content. So here's Bruce inducting the E Street Band, New York City, April 2014. It's a long speech. It's about 15 minutes, but, you know, there were a lot of freaking members in this band. And I'll follow that with the band performing the E Street Shuffle. Augmented by Vinnie Mad Dog Lopez on a second drum kit, David Sanchez on organ, and the E Street Horns as well. So I lucked out with Davey as my roommate. <laughs> and 
the only member of the group who ever actually lived on E Street. Yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, I walked in and he was on the club's organ and Davey is reserved now, but at the time, he danced like Sly Stone, and he played like Booker T, and he poured out soul and blues and jazz and gospel and rock and roll, and he had voicings on his keyboard that we just never heard before. It was just so full of soul and so beautiful. Davey, uh, uh, we love you, and we still miss you so, you know? But predating all of this, was Steve Van Zandt. Whoa! I walked into the Little Town Hullabaloo Club. There was a front man for a band called The Shadows. He had on a tie that went from here down to his feet. And all I remember was he was singing the turtles happy together. And during a break at the, at the Hullabaloo Club in New Jersey, he played 55 minutes on and five minutes off. And if there was a fight, he had to rush back on stage and start playing again. So I met, met Stevie there, and he soon became my great uh, bass player first, great and great guitarist, my consigliere. Devil's advocate whenever I need one. He is the invaluable ears for everything that I create. I always get a hold of him. And uh, uh, fan number one. So he's my comic foil on stage, uh, my fellow producer, arranger, and my blood, 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 blood brother. as many lives as they'll give us, all right? <laughs> years, years and bands went by. Child, Steel Mill, the Bruce Springsteen Band, they were all some combo of the above-mentioned gang. Then I scored a solo recording contract with Columbia Records, and I argued to get to choose my recording Sidemen, which was a misnomer in this case, if there ever was one. So, and we finally landed on E Street. A rock and roll hybrid of solo artistry and a true rock and roll band. But one big thing was missing. stage about the size of this podium and then he unleashed the force of nature 
that was the sound and the soul of the big man. Oh, yeah! I knew that my life had changed. Um, miss you. Love you, big man. So, 
made primarily from the neighborhood, from a real time and a real place that exists for a little while and then changes and is gone forever. They, they're made from the same circumstances, the same needs, the same hungers, culture, from the same need of a love to cover over her. They're forged in the search of, for something more promising than what you were born into. These are the elements, the tools, and these are the people who built the place called East Street. idea, was a wish, was a refuge, was a home, was a destination, was a gutter dream, and finally it was a band. We struggled together and sometimes we struggled with one another. We bathed in the glory and often the heartbreaking confusion of our rewards together. We enjoyed health and we've suffered illness and aging and death together. We took care of one another when trouble knocked, and we hurt one another in big and small ways. But in the end, we kept faith with each other. And one thing is for certain, as I've said before in reference to Clarence Clemens, I told a story with the East Street Band that was and is bigger than I ever could have told on my own. And I believe that that, that settles that question. So that is the hallmark of a rock and roll band. The narrative you tell together is bigger than anyone you could have told on your own. That's the Rolling Stones, that's the Sex Pistols, that's Bob Marley and the Whalers, that's James Brown and his famous friends, that's Neil Young and crazy horse. So, I thank you my beautiful men and women of East Street. You made me dream and love bigger than I ever could have without you. And tonight I stand here with just one regret. And uh, that's that Danny and Clarence aren't here with us tonight. Uh, 16. Sixteen years ago, a few evenings before my own induction, I stood in my darkened kitchen along with Steve Van Zandt. Steve was just returning to the band after a 15-year hiatus, and he was petitioning me to push the Hall of Fame to induct all of us together. And I listened, and the Hall of Fame had its rules, and I was proud of my independence. We hadn't played together in 10 years. We were somewhat estranged. We were just taking the first small steps of reforming. We didn't know what the future would bring. And perhaps the shadow of some of the old grudges still held some sway. It was a conundrum, because we'd never been quite fish nor fowl. And Steve was, was quiet and persistent. And at the end of our conversation, he just said, yeah, yeah, I understand. 
for Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. That's the legend.
We just fucking made it. So there you go, some great moments from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since 1987. No matter the credibility of the institution, it has generated some awesome rock and roll moments. Let's leave with one last song. Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band performing 10th Avenue Freeze Out the night Bruce was inducted into the Hall of Fame, 1999.
the show, folks. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website at trampslikeuspod.com, communicate with us on Facebook at our Tramps Like Us podcast group page, and on Twitter at Tramps Like Us Pod. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review and a five-star rating. Tramps Like Us podcast is a nonprofit audio fanzine created by fans for fans and is available for free. We are not affiliated with Bruce Springsteen or Columbia Sony Records. If you've heard any music you like, please find it and purchase it from BruceSpringsteen.net, iTunes, Amazon, your local record store, or wherever music is sold. As always, gratitude and respect to Bruce Springsteen and all past and current members of the heart-stopping, pants-dropping, hard-rocking, booty-shaking, earthquaking, love-making, Viagra-taking, history-making, testifying, death-defying, legendary E Street Band. Let me hear you say, Bruce.